For BYU-Idaho Radio, this is Morgan White. Joining me over the phone is Will Roth, the Development and Communications Associate with the Teton Regional Land Trust. Will, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm looking forward to hearing more about what sorts of activities and events the nonprofit has planned for this month. So uh, let's start off with talking about uh, the two activities that are planned for this evening. We have two events back-to-back. Our first event is a membership gathering, which is kind of an open house, an opportunity for members of our organization or just those who are maybe curious about the work we do in conservation in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem to stop by our office. And uh, we'll have members of our conservation team there just kind of fielding questions and chatting. So it's an opportunity for us to get to know folks in the community a little bit more and for them to understand what we do as a conservation nonprofit in the region. And then immediately following that, we have this event with Wyoming Stargazing, um, which is based in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And they essentially come out and uh, bring their super powerful telescopes and equipment and lead these experiences for folks um, where you know they can essentially pick out any star that you'd like to take a look at and the telescopes will automatically orient themselves uh, towards that star. So their experts on hand can give you background and context on what you're looking at. Um, But it's a really cool experience for folks, especially given that we live uh, in a part of the country with a really good dark, starry night, which makes for great viewing. And they also will be talking about the importance of dark night sky for the ecosystem. You know, these dark skies kind of go hand in hand with open spaces and natural landscape, right? And as a conservation nonprofit working in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, preserving open spaces and historically agricultural land and wildlife migration corridors and just, you know, prioritizing um, our conservation projects that way kind of goes hand in hand with creating that like lack of light pollution, that dark night sky for observing the stars. And so that's that's what we really focus on here is preserving and protecting open space, whether that's agricultural or ranch land or, you know, just natural untouched land for mm-hmm. the wildlife that uses it or, you know, for recreational purposes as well. Um, but just kind of fighting to keep the natural landscape natural is essentially how I would put it. What are some things that people can do, um, one, with preserving the evening sky, you know, keeping it as unpolluted as possible, but also protecting and preserving those natural and open spaces that you were talking about? What are some things people in Idaho should be aware of and maybe more conscientious of trying to not do or do to help the situation? You know, one of the things that we try to do here on the development side with this nonprofit is just raise awareness for the open space that people tend to enjoy without necessarily thinking about why is this space undeveloped or why is this um, ranch land, you know, still ranch land or farmland, still farmland or open space, still open space, essentially. And so one thing I talk a lot lot about is like um, on the Teton River here in Teton Valley, before I joined this nonprofit, I, I would float that river and think to myself, gosh, it's such a miracle that you don't see many houses along here. And you know, all this space is 
available to the moose that you float by or the sandhill cranes that you float by or that you hear in the tall grass and things like that. And then as I became more familiar with the land trust, I realized that that's not a miracle. That's actually a lot of hard work has gone into that. And that is you know, done by partnering with willing landowners who own that land, whether it's agricultural or um, you know, just a large piece of property, but they come to us hoping to protect it via a conservation easement. And um, so we facilitate that and kind of custom uh, design conservation easements for those landowners, which protects the land in perpetuity. So it's a guarantee that that land will remain open in one form or another forever. And so, yeah, in terms of tying it back into Wyoming stargazing in this event, you know, it's a guarantee that night sky will be preserved as well. Because, yeah, it would be really sad if at some point in the future there's even less beauty than what we already enjoy here in this region. So that's super important. Yeah, I totally agree. So I think, yeah, just familiarizing yourselves with uh, why that kind of natural landscape that so many of us love or so many of us have grown up around or have have moved to regions like this to enjoy um, how those things remain open and and undeveloped is kind of crucial. Yeah. Is there like a hot spot or an area that your nonprofit is specifically worried about or is working towards uh, preserving that that might be deteriorating at a faster rate than other areas? We work in the entire greater Yellowstone ecosystem. So in we have conservation easements in five counties, but our, we're located in Teton County, Idaho. Mm-hmm. Um, so our scope is, is pretty pretty broad and we have a conservation team and a stewardship team that travels um, to each of those conservation easements once a year and just checks in on them and makes sure that everything is being kept to the standards of the conservation easement and that there's no, uh, that all the practices going on are within the scope of the conservation easement. So it's a system in place to, to guarantee that our work doesn't end. Part of the commitment is to steward the land in perpetuity. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a commitment forever. Gotcha. Yeah. And can you give me a little bit of background about how the Teton Regional Land Trust came to be? I know you guys are a nonprofit. Um, have you been around for a long time? Is this kind of a new group? No, yeah. So Teton Regional Land Trust was started in 1990 by uh, Michael Whitfield, the founding executive director. And over time, it's grown to a team of 11 people. And uh, we're still going strong in our offices here in Driggs. Like I said, we hold conservation easements in five counties in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. Mm Mm-hmm. Tying it back to the Starry Night Sky experience, uh, what sorts of uh, materials or, I guess, supplies do people need to bring? I heard mention of blankets and chairs and that kind of stuff. Yeah. um, Aside from that, there's nothing necessary. It's Wyoming Stargazing brings the rest. They bring the equipment and things like that. So um, that's all that anyone would would need to bring. That sounds good. (laughs) Are there any other events that you guys have coming up this month? We actually have this really large week-long event coming up called the Greater Yellowstone Crane Festival. So there's tons of opportunities to get involved and to learn about Sandhill Cranes. This Teton Basin is um, host to the largest population of staging Sandhill Cranes in the Greater Yellowstone ecosystem. So it's essentially where they all come to stage and fuel up for their 
winter migration. And so it is the fifth annual Greater Yellowstone Crane Festival. And it runs from September 12th through September 17th. And it's essentially a festival celebrating the way that cranes creatively and artistically impact our lives in this unique ecosystem that they depend on so heavily. So we have various art workshops um, led by local artists. So um, we have a poetry and printmaking workshop, um, which is on Monday, September 12th. We have a drawing workshop, which is actually already sold out. That's on Tuesday. And then we have a photography workshop, which last I checked, still had a couple of slots available. And that's on Wednesday, September 14th. And then the events kind of continue with a documentary film screening on Thursday, September 15th from 6 to 7.30 in Driggs. And uh, that's The Nature Makers, which is directed by Scott Saunders. And then we'd have a couple more um, sold out events during this lineup. Um, we have Sandhill Crane Tours, as well as our In a Landscape Classical Music in the Wild event, mm-hmm. which is also sold out. But we also have a Friday night Teton Arts Crane Art Show, which is in partnership with a nonprofit in the area here called Teton Arts. And that's a showcase essentially of people's art. And um, we have dance performances. Uh, we're going to have the Idaho Falls School of Ballet, the Summit School of the Arts, and the Hispanic Heritage Dance Troupe sponsored by the Hispanic Resource Center. So that's an opportunity. It's free and open to the public. It's in the Driggs uh, City Center Plaza and uh, just a good opportunity to see some of the art that the Sandhill Cranes inspire. And there will be art there for purchase. And you'll also be able to chat with the land trust staff and just get to know a little bit more about what we do in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. Gotcha. Yeah. What do you think is one of the biggest takeaways for people after um, after attending the festival? Yeah, there's... Uh, lots to do, lots to enjoy. And, you know, uh, it's just the start of things because you, um, you know, if you come out to the Greater Yellowstone Crane Festival and kind of see some of maybe the art that the cranes inspire, um, and then you can go get inspired yourselves with, uh, you know, maybe floating the Teton River and seeing cranes or driving around um, the Teton River and you might see them staging and getting ready for that migration south. You keep mentioning a very interesting point that um, these cranes have inspired a lot of artistic and just um, this sense of beauty and of identity as well in this region. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's in the eye of the beholder um, for sure, but there's something about sandhill cranes that um, people really connect with, I can tell, um, especially one of the first things I did with this job and in gathering quotes for that call of the crane op-ed i was talking with some of the workshop leaders about their craft and and how they've been inspired by sandhill cranes and you know no one was at a loss for words everyone is uh very much um you know it's a difficult thing to describe but but there's something really creatively stimulating about seeing these birds they're they're so large and graceful and they're Social dynamics are really interesting to witness, and they're so vocal as well. I think that their call is is really unique and unmistakable, and 
echoes for about like two miles. So yeah, you can often hear them without seeing them, which is a really interesting thing. And it just, I think, brings a sense of like wonder. That's kind of part of what draws a lot of people to study them further or, you know, just kind of admire them. And enjoy them yeah. as part of the, uh, as part of this region's landscape and ecosystem too. Definitely. Yeah. For the events that are still open, you know, for registration, where can people go to uh, sign up for that? And is there a general sort of admission fee that they need to be aware of beforehand? Or is that listed specifically on a website or on the registration form? Yeah, that's all listed. And um, there are suggested donations for some of the events. Um, Others are free. And you can find it all at tetonlandtrust.org. That was Will Roth, the Development and Communications Associate for the Teton Regional Land Trust. This is Morgan White for BYU-Idaho Radio.